Hi everyone, and welcome back to China in the Americas podcast. In this episode, we are covering the state of China-Panama relations. Panama officially recognized the PRC in 2017, and ever since then, there's been a constant parade of op-eds from think tanks about the potential risks of China's advance in Central America. To seek some truth from facts on this issue, we are joined by Sebastian Ranco, who is a PhD candidate at Renmin University in Beijing and an officer in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Panama. This was a really fun episode to record, and I really hope you enjoy it as well. Hi, Sebastian. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Rashid. Thank you for inviting me to your podcast. Yeah, great. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Panama comes up a lot, especially when we're talking about China in Latin America and Taiwan. So, before we get into Taiwan, Panama, China switch, I want to get a backdrop of what is the state of Panama's economy, foreign relations, you know, outside of China and Taiwan. So, anyone who has ever identified Panama on a map. They'll quickly be able to tell that Panama is a small country, roughly over seventy-four thousand square kilometers, and something along the lines of four million people. So we don't have a big territory. We don't have a large population. However, we are well located, and with a good location, Panama has been able to capitalize on its position in the middle of the Americas. Obviously,、uh, with a small—well, not obviously, but with a small population and small land, it hasn't been. The conditions haven't been met to develop a strong agricultural industry, and also the industrial part of the country hasn't either picked up. So Panama has focused a lot on its services, taking the Panama Canal as perhaps its、uh, most iconic. Infrastructure project and driver of the economy, both directly and indirectly, and as a, a trickle to the canal, Panama has been able to develop other、uh, service-related activities, such as becoming the hub for transit, having one of the most well-connected airports in the region. Uh, also, being the hub for many multinationals that want to service to other countries, and of course, an entry to the Americas commercially, you know,、uh, as well as having ports on both the Pacific and the Atlantic and the Canal. It's also a country that has done its best to maintain good relations with its neighbors and world powers to take advantage and cater to their needs. So. In line with services and as a hub, everything that has to do with perhaps you know humanitarian hub, pharmaceutical hub, tech hub, Panama has really tried to propel and project itself in the world as the place to do that. Not just for the Americas, but for anyone that wants to have a large presence in the Western Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. So the yeah, of course, the Panama Canal and its related services is quite prominent. So I guess listeners may not know, I recently moved to Panama, and what I, the canal is much more central to everyday conversations than I expected.、I've, yes, it's going to be a big deal, of course, but the extent to what people talk about the Panama Canal is is quite substantial, and I'm very surprised by that. So, even how about in politics? Electoral politics, domestic political squabbles. How central is the Panama Canal in those stories? Well, first, congratulations for your <laughs> your choice to move to Panama. You chose a very very good destination for that, and I've heard that you've liked it、yes. so far. <laughs> so that's great. So I, I encourage everyone to also consider Panama as a as a place to move to. Now there's a, a nomad、uh, law that helps. Basically, people from all over the world to work in Panama. So, so that's something that anyone interested, anyone that can work remotely, can of course consider.、Uh, back to your question.、Uh, yeah, the canal continues, and as long as Panama remains a、uh, a focal point for transit, will will continue to be a, a an, an important、uh, aspect of all of our daily lives. In a way, we we have a connection. 
to the canal. Uh, for example, if um, if you work in the insurance service in, in the insurance sector, uh, you might offer insurance to a port company, or you might offer insurance to a shipping company, and so, or if you work in the banking. You might offer a loan, or you might uh, open bank accounts for 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 captains, for marines, and so on and so forth. So, of course, uh, what is important for politics uh, and the canal is that they stay somewhat separate. They keep a healthy distance. So, the canal is administered by the ACP which is the authority of the Panama Canal, a private public company, uh, meaning it's uh, ran as a, a, administered as a private company. However, the state owns all of the shares or if I'm not mistaken, owns a major, like at least the majority of the, of the, of the company. And to maintain and to keep the canal profitable and operational, of course, politics, many of the appointments of the canal need to be apolitical, must be technical, must be meritocratic. So the administrator, who is actually, in a way, a civil servant, has has a big responsibility, and so do the uh, board of directors that elect him. So to us, it's important that the canal stays neutral, has a has a safe distance from politics. And now that you mentioned that, there was recently uh, three appointments in the board of directors of the of the Panama Canal, uh, and they have seven year terms. And three of these uh, appointees have links to the governing party, to the People's Revolutionary Democratic Party, the, the PRD. And of course, to many, this was worrying because mm-hmm. in the canal. You and the board of directors, which are in charge of making the big decisions, you want you want talent and you want uh, human resources that are specialized in their field, or at least in fields that are related to the canal. So now, one of the worries of the canal is water management. So, of course, uh, you would expect um, one of these directors to have understanding in. Water systems or 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 hydro um, hydro sector. Uh, however, they don't. So, I mean, it is to my understanding that each of like each of the selected new board members are very professional in their fields. Nonetheless, these fields are not are arguably not directly linked to the needs and necessities of the canal. Mm-hmm. And what are you think the major let's say, political, socioeconomic, or foreign policy issues that drive politics in Panama. For example, I don't assume people wake up and argue about Chinese foreign policy in Panama as a Panama talking point. So what do people talk about a lot in politics here? Employment is big. Now, of course, after the COVID pandemic, I mean, during the COVID pandemic, Panama reached historical unemployment levels of over 25%. And we had only seen this ever before during the invasion, you know, post-invasion economic recession uh, of 1989. So a lot of people worry about employment. A lot of people worry about the, the, the state of the economy, how, uh, since we, since Panama had a, had a very rough year, like most of the countries in the world in, in 2020 and 2021, a lot of debt was issued. And yeah, Panama has a very healthy economy for, for the region and has some productive sectors such as the, the canal and the ports and now has, a, has several industries that are quite profitable. However, we have a cap as to how much debt we can issue. And this law actually had to, had to be changed of response, the responsible acquiring of debt because, of course, this law was passed before the pandemic and during the pandemic state of emergency, it had to be modified. So we worry a lot about how we're going to be able to repay this debt because we, we know this will uh, probably translate into changes in our taxes. Probably we'll have to, like we're doing, in a way, renegotiate a lot of the concessions for these productive industries and how much income the the state receives from from these operations 
And now a, a new worry for many Panamanians, I don't count myself yet, is the uh, retirement pension scheme and how, um, and partly because of the pandemic, partly because there's less and less contributors to these, to, to, to the retirement pension scheme for agricultural workers. There seems to be a, a concern of, of the extent or not, not the extent to the time period of, like, there seems to be a concern on the, on the, uh, ag- agri- uh, a section of the pension scheme called the, uh, obrero patronal, which means uh, like the agricultural worker one, because less and less people are working in agriculture. Uh, they're moving to cities and hence you have less contributors. But many of these people that contributed, many of these citizens that contributed all their lives are quickly reaching retirement age. So there will be a deficit in a few years and the uh, governmental entity that takes care of pensions, which is the CSS, the Caja de Seguro Social, is going or or is in discussions with several stakeholders as to how to solve this. So just to to, to finalize, to resume and finalize, in terms of the worries of everyday Panamanians, um, now of course, uh, because of the pandemic, there is employment, there is debt, and there is a, among a minority, nonetheless, it, we understand how this could potentially affect us in the future if our retirement scheme runs into a deficit, perhaps the whole institution might have cracks that need to be reformed and and um, solved before, well, before many of us actually reach that retirement age and will have mm-hmm. to rely on these, on these contributions that we made. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the party politics in Panama, the current ruling party... It seems to have done things a lot differently than the f- previous ruling party. Uh, is that a fair statement? So, in Panama, um, we have roughly three, four big parties, which are the, the the current governing party, the PRD. Then you have the Nationalist Party, and then you have the CD. There's the emergence now of of the RM party, uh, and of course, we have some other smaller parties that usually. Um, join these bigger parties to win elections. And in the democratic history of Panama, meaning after 1989, there ha- none of these parties have ever been reelected. So um, for Panamanian poli- in Panamanian politics, presidential terms are five years and presidential candidates cannot be reelected immediately. They need to wait two periods, so, so 10 years before running again. But the party, of course, with a, with a new candidate can be reelected. And well, for the, for the past, um, roughly 30 years, uh, none of these parties have been reelected. So my, what the point I'm trying to make is every election, whenever there's a party switch, they try to follow their own agenda, mm-hmm. make their own agenda, and which is actually, um, Damaging for long-term state plans because every five years you have a new party coming, a new government with new plans, and in a way restarting men a lot of the work that was that was previously done. So it's not an inaccurate statement to say that the PRD is doing things differently to the previous party, which is the Nationalist Party. So you said before 1989. Now. I have context for that, but I think most people won't. So what, what was the situation before 1989? So bef- let's first begin with Panama's independence. Uh, Panama became an independent state in 1903, November 3rd. Uh, of course, with the, with the help of the United States, who wanted to build a canal and weren't able to find... Uh, terms that they agreed with with the Colombian government because before independence, Panama was part of Colombia. So from 1903 to 2000, Panama in a way worked like uh, U.S. external territory. There was um, there was a part of uh, up until yeah up until 1999, December 31st, there was a piece of land 
that was roughly, if I'm not mistaken, 80 kilometers, 80 kilometers long and 30 kilometers wide. But double check me on that because I haven't <laughs> looked at those numbers in a while. It's squared. Um, that was pretty much U.S. territory. So, yeah, Panama had elections and was, a, in a way, a democratic country. However, the candidates that were chosen were influenced a lot by the U.S. Because, of course, the U.S. had made uh, had, had some very strong commercial military interests. Because if we notice this period of time, it's both world wars and the Cold War. And specific, especially for the for the Second World War, the Panama Canal served as an important strategic point for U.S. ships to cross. So during during this period of time, we we basically had uh, presidents that were that were in a way uh, serving the interest of the U.S. However, in the 1970s, late 1960s. The military, led by General Omar Torrijos, installed a military government. And I mean, this this guy Omar Torrijos nowadays is a is a hero to Panamanian history because he was part of the Panama Canal treaties, which was a series of treaties that returned all these territories to the Panamanian people and nationalized the canal. So he was never president. He was never head of state. But he, as there was a military government and he was the general, which was the highest position, which is still the highest position, was in charge. So there are rumors as to, and, and there are many theories as to how uh, General Omar Torrijos uh, died. But uh, basically there was a, a, a plane crash where he was inside and he uh, passed away. So... The next person in line uh, took power, and his name might uh, be f familiar to, to anyone who has taken an interest in, in uh, dictators or, or drug lords, and his name was uh, General Manuel Antonio Noriega. So Noriega, different to Omar, had, uh, as far as we know, and... and, and um, And the data, data seems to support he had ties with the CIA. Uh, he was an informant for the CIA for a long time. And he also had ties with the Colombian drug cartel uh, led by uh, Pablo Escobar. So when he assumed uh, the, when he assumed power, he very quickly dis began to distance himself from the CIA. Because, of course, by working for the CIA, he had to respond to the CIA. And this was not to the, um, to the likes of the Central Intelligence Agency. And so they basically, uh, under President George Bush, father, invaded Panama. The invasion took place uh, in January, if I'm not mistaken... 1989. And a few days later, uh, Noriega was um, captured and put into custody for on charges of uh, facilitating drug trafficking. Yeah. And I think you mentioned to me that. So the extent to which the Panama Canal Zone was Panam was American territory is underappreciated. Perhaps, whereas you mentioned to me that it was John McCain. John McCain was born in the Panama Canal Zone, and I was still American. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, of course, I was a like I was a kid during this time, so I you know never got the chance of going into mm -hmm. the in, into the Canal Zone. But my parents, who who of course grew up during this time, they told me that um, this was U.S. territory. Uh, you you really couldn't go in without permission. Um, you, you, um, you couldn't work there if, um, unless you also had permission and, uh, any citizen of the U S born inside the Panama Canal zone was a U.S. citizen, not mm -hmm. a Panamanian citizen. Uh, in a way it functioned as a colony. So yeah, we've had some, there's been some, some, some U S personalities that, uh, have, have, uh, been very successful in politics like John McCain and nobody knows that he was born in. 
Panama. In Panama, yeah. yeah. It's very surprising. And it, it's a it's a pervasive part of just normal Panama society where my my barber, he was saying that he was born in Canal Zone. He lives in America most of his life and, and so on. So moving moving forward from this, one of these things that obviously comes up a lot in any discussion about Panama in Panama foreign policy these days is the switch from Taiwan to PRC. And could you give some background on why that switch occurred in, in, in the first place? So Panama up until 2017, when, when um, the establishment of diplomatic relations took place, was one of the few states in the world that had diplomatic relations with Taiwan. And by many counts, uh, the most important ally that Taiwan had in the Americas. And in a way, this was beneficial to Panama as Taiwan's um, economy, um, you know, that would consume high-end products and niche products, was complementary to Panama's production of some um, high-end agricultural products, such as shrimp, coffee, beef, etc., and, uh, well, Panama still had very good, at the same time, had very good commercial relations with China. You know, before the establishment of diplomatic relations, China, um, you know, was still among the top three most users of the Panama Canal, the number one user of the Canal Free Zone, um, had a uh, trade and commercial office, representative office in Panama City, and Panama was... One of the only, th- one of the three countries, uh, in addition to Haiti and Dominican Republic, that without diplomatic relations had a, a similar office in, in Pan- in, in Beijing. That worked in a way as a, well, I wouldn't say an embassy because it was an embassy level, but offered many of the services that embassies offer. However, um, perhaps, uh, not not exactly when the most countries in the world began recognizing China. Of course, 1970s after after the UN um, after the UN recognized the Pe- People's Republic of China over Taiwan, the Republic of China. But I think it was probably when China began to have its economic boom and started to invest in South America and started to trade, and the economy started to grow. Um, many people in Panama, many political parties started to wonder what was the benefit that, what was the opportunity that lied in switching diplomatic relations to China? Nonetheless, well, there were a few other factors, not just commercial, that were in place. For one, uh, we know that the U.S. and Taiwan have, um, yeah. Military agreements, the purchase and sale of, of arms and weapons. Uh, we know that for the U.S., Taiwan is a strategically positioned in the, uh, in the Pacific in a place where, um, you know, they can, they can basically have a military presence. And of course, Taiwan represents a d- democracy success that d- d- represents a state that uh is is a is a is a, is a free state where people choose their people and is of course a uh, um a representation of good values so it you know wanting to switch diplomatic relations from taiwan to china um is one thing but actually being able to do it is another thing um i remember when i was researching my um my uh, bachelor's thesis titled Panama and the Two Chinas. Uh, I found uh, some leaked documents that the, that the president of um, Ricardo Martinelli, he, he was president, if I'm not mistaken, from 2009, 2014. Um, there was an approach. There was really an approach to establish diplomatic relations. However, at the time, if we, if we notice who was in power in Taiwan, it was Mai Jiong, and Mai Jiong from the KMT uh, had a position that was not pro-independence. His position was, well, we we recognize there's one China, but we disagree on where 
the center and the capital of that China is. So to to China, that that government could in a way be perhaps um, negotiated with and and like I think they from the Chinese perspective they they saw having a diplomatic switch with any other country as a way of deteriorating relations as a way of um, sending the wrong signals about what you know what the the relationship should be so for for a very long period of time um, China and Taiwan uh, honored the diplomatic truce they had a, a, a diplomatic truce that they honored uh, and also actually that reminds me from 2004 2009, um, the, the current governing party was also governing under Martin Torrijos, which is the son of uh, the general that I mentioned earlier, Omar Torrijos. And I remember in an interview I had with him, he told me that he, at during his, his time in government, he had had the chance of making the switch. And this opportunity created itself. Um, and this was, if we notice, 2004, 2019, this is when Costa Rica established diplomatic relations. If I'm not mistaken, it was either in 2007, 2008. I, I can't remember which date exactly. So I, I, I assume that there was a domino effect that would have played out. However, Panama was negotiating the um, trade promotion agreement with the U.S. And of course, following in line with the interest, you know, military and uh, and uh, geopolitical that I that I just mentioned, Panama. Um, you know, President Torrijos probably saw this opportunity, but prioritized uh, the the trade promotion agreement. Not to, you know, he he didn't want to compromise establishing the relations with Taiwan. Sorry, he didn't want to compromise the 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 trade promotion agreement over establishing diplomatic relations with China. Um, so, in two thousand and seventeen, uh, sorry, in two thousand and sixteen, Tsai Ing-wen. Of the DPP, so Democratic Progressive Party, uh, pro independence party, won elections in Taiwan. So this created the opportunity for Panama to switch because the interest was there, and probably from China as well, the interest to uh, uh, you know uh, have another diplomatic ally and one less for Taiwan was also there, but the conditions were not um, were not were not. So with the switch, China, of course, didn't see a compromise to the diplomatic truce and was able to accommodate for the establishment. I must say, this was top secret. I mean, really, very, very few people, both from Panama and both from China, knew about this. And I'll tell you a little anecdote. Uh, a few weeks ago, not sorry, not a few weeks ago, a few months ago, I had a lunch at the... Uh, Chinese ambassadors to Panama's house, Wei Tiang, and uh, his team had re- recently switched. So, so the the new political, uh, the person in charge of political affairs uh, was his. I don't remember exactly what her what her name is, but she's a lovely lady. Had actually been in charge of Panama at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs when the when the negotiations for the establishment were taking place, and she would tell her husband, "Hey, I'm leaving." Like I'm going on a business trip, but I can't tell you where. <laughs> I can, and then her husband was like, "Well, what, what? How do I know how to contact you?" And she would say, "Don't worry, I'll contact you. It needs mm. me, but I really can't tell you. I really can't tell you uh, where I'm going." So it was at that level of secrecy from right. from both sides. It was in the works, and I also know that when the switch happened, Panama um, suggested opening a uh, like a trade office, um, so so a Panama trade office in Taipei and a Taipei trade office in Panama. Um, nonetheless, for for reasons we can all understand, uh, Taiwan refused, yeah. um, <laughs> and the, the the flag of Taiwan uh, was was um, was brought down. However, uh, in Panama, all the properties that are still owned by Taiwan um, are there. Mm. Uh, we they didn't sell them. They didn't do anything with them. They're still there. Um, I think they're valued at a few million because, of course, it's a, it's like houses and, and buildings and, and this sort. So there's indications that they might do something with these in the future. Um, you know, different to 
Nicaragua, I think it was Nicaragua, who basically told, once they made the diplomatic switch, they told the Taiwan ambassador, well, you've got to vacate because right. we're going to, we're going to put the Chinese ambassador there <laughs> in a few, you know, in, in, in like in some hours or some days. Um, but with Panama, um, since we already had a trade and commercial office for China, we just elevated that to an embassy. And in terms of the Taiwanese population, they they remained. It's not like they were. Of course, the the diplomats were 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 uh, had to had to um had to give back their accreditation because mm-hmm. they were no longer accredited to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Um, but the other Taiwanese citizens were welcome to stay, and students in. Uh, Panamanian students that were in Taiwan under governmental scholarships were given two options. Uh, A, they can either go to, you know, the People's Republic of China and finish their studies. Mm -hmm. So, uh, China would accept these, uh, you know, these scholarships. They would assume, uh, assume this, these financial expenses and so on. Or they could stay in Taiwan to finish their studies. And the government of Panama would finance the remainder of their scholarship in Taiwan. Um, I don't remember how many students there were, but there were, there were a lot. There were above a hundred and I think less than five chose to go to mainland China. They decided to continue their studies in Taiwan. And since they were going to be, you know, financed, they, they decided to stay here. Yeah. Thanks. So was was, was there a substantial, uh, a substantial increase in Chinese investment capital that flowed in immediately after the switch was made to PRC in 2017? So calculating investment is very difficult, um, at least foreign direct investment to Panama. And the reason this is difficult to calculate is because, well, for one thing, China reports figures and we report figures. And a lot of the time these figures don't match. Or why, why is that? It's because the definition of foreign direct investment to China is different to the definition mm-hmm. of foreign direct investment uh, in Panama. So I'm, I mean, I'm not going to get into technicalities for it because, of course, you have like a, a you know, uh, a ground investments. You have uh, different sorts of investments. But the the point here is, a lot of the time, the Panamanian financial financial infrastructure is used by China to channel investments to other parts of the region mm-hmm. or, or other countries in the region or to, to channel funds for, for A or B reasons. So when we look at investment numbers, um, those of Panama um, translate to very, very big sums. I remember, I remember one day I was comparing, comparing them to those of South America for from 2000 to 2017, I don't remember exactly which dates and well, Chinese investments to Panama were higher than Argentina's mm. by those figures. Now, of mm. course, in reality, we, we, we know that that's not possible. We just, uh, we just understand that these are, this is capital that flows in and flows out or is distributed in some way, but it is, uh, measured by, by China as foreign direct in outward direct investment. Because it's capital that's flowing outside the country, right? So but it's raised, but it's raised a flow. Because obviously, for 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 some for some contacts listeners, there is a Bank of China in Panama, also the ICBC branch, also in Panama. So they definitely would receive a lot of influx of capital from their um, China China home branches to distribute throughout the region as well. Exactly. What I can tell you that increased was an interest to. You know, was a was an increase in 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 doing business with China and attracting investments, uh, attracting Chinese investments. So so the conversation quickly turned to right. So the new big investor of Panama will be China, and this uh, polarized public opinion into two. For, for on the one side, there were all the businessmen um, who had really hard, had a hard time. Uh, during the, you know, the, the, the previous government, the Varela government, because, well, 
during the Martinelli government, which was before Varela, the economy had soared. But during Varela, the economy had slowed down again. So, of course, you see Panama established diplomatic relations with one of the fastest growing economy of, you know, main receptors of outward direct investment. So there was a lot of excitement. And then there was uh, uh, a, an, another uh, part of public opinion that in a way uh, was was afraid that the Chinese are coming, that they're going to buy the canal and all these sorts of rumors uh, began to sprout. And in a way, this really influenced public opinion mm-hmm. and public policy as well. Because everything the Chinese, they were basically they were against the wall. I get the feeling uh, the Chinese, because everything they did was interpreted as uh, it, it's a colonization effort. It's a it's a, it's something that the that the Chinese they want to basically take over the the ports like they did the Sri Lanka one, and they want to you know basically uh, uh, get us into these debt traps and mask diplomacy and. Yeah. Well, we we can't say this is absolute. You know, not all of the engagements that China was trying to have with Panama translated, or we're going to end and end end in this way. Um, so, for example, one very symbolic uh, occurrence that took place was well. Uh, in the past, when Panama didn't have diplomatic relations with China, there was this uh, office in in one of the main streets of Panama, Calle 50. But of course, now that they had an embassy, they wanted to build a proper embassy. And um, the government of Panama uh, was considering several areas of where to allocate the piece of land that would basically belong to China for them to build their embassy, and one of the places was the Amador uh, Corridor. And the mm-hmm. Amador Corridor is, for anyone that has been to Panama, is right next to the canal. Mm-hmm. So you can basically see the ships crossing and making a line to enter the canal from this from, from this point. And this area used to belong to uh, the U.S., during well not used to belong but was was part of the Panama Canal administration um during the times of the canal zone that we previously spoke from 1903 to 1999 and this campaign of only the Panamanian flag can be raised emerged and this anti-chinese sentiment was really uh pronounced uh by by the civil society and by many people and of course, this in a way scared away, I mean, not scared, but perhaps that momentum that was building was affected by these public displays of Chinese uh, projects and, and, mm-hmm. and, and agreements that were, were being made at a governmental level. Yeah, yeah, that, that whole flag. You know, Panama, Panama is surprisingly nationalistic. Is it's like a, I guess it may, in, in a way that the U.S. is, where if anyone goes to Panama, the flags are everywhere and they're huge. <laughs> Even Amador just mentioned there's a giant Panamanian flag there. The road up to um, Santa Costera is like lined with Panamanian flags. Um, even even like the names of some places like Dulce de October, named after these military events. Um, so it, it gets easy for me to see how that kind of thing is, like I say, foreign power coming in can stark up, can stoke up such a very large, rea- um, uh, vivid, vivid reaction from people. So, uh, where, where, where is the Chinese embassy now, actually? Okay. So this is, uh, actually a very sad story because, right, um, when, when the government saw at the time that, uh, there was going to be a lot of rejection to assigning or to, to giving lands to China for a 90, 90 year period, which, uh, for anyone who knows a bit about China, they know that in China, you don't really, you know, people don't own the property. They lease it from the government for 90 years. So it was kind of the same, you know, yeah, Panama, like Singapore. Yeah. Panama would, would, would lease a, a, a part of Chinese territory for 90 years and China would lease a part of Panamanian territory for 90 years. Um, 
they uh, found another location uh, near near a near a park called Camino de Cruces, which is a very nice, um, very very you know, it's a very nice lot of land. However, the Chinese haven't been able to construct anything and build anything because the lot of land is still being used as a parking lot by the Ministry of Economics and 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 finance yeah so so they're still in a in a you know in a in an office in an office building but they should begin constructing construction for their for their embassy soon it's just yeah like um really i have to say on in, in this side it's 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 the panamanian side that needs to vacate the a lot of land that will be right. used as, as as space for the for the Chinese embassy. Because I was I was looking for it because uh, most of the embassies are in Marbella. Of course, China wouldn't be there because it's a fairly new one. I was curious where the embassy was. I guess so. There isn't actually a building yet. So <laughs> okay. So now, so when the you know switch was made, what are the, some examples of the? Like actual projects that China financed as FDI uh, that actually impacted Panama. Okay, so there's two types of projects that Panama, sorry, that 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 China has participated in 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 Panama. So there are those that are financed uh, by the Panamanian government. You know, so there are these uh, bids. Where there's the participation of Chinese companies in them, which are mostly infrastructure projects, and then there's um, projects that are financed with Chinese capital. So uh, for Chinese capital, the most uh, clear and evident one is the PCCP port, which uh, the Panamanian government offered as a concession to a consortium consortium. Um, made up of Landbridge Group and Shanghai Gorgeous. And there was also going to be the participation of CC, CCCC, so China Communication Construction Corporation, for the, uh, for the dredging and, and the construction. However, the, the, the leads, the leaders of the project were Landbridge Group and Shanghai Gorgeous. Um, this started in 2017 and it was supposed to end in 2020. However, the, the cost of the project elevated by 100 million. It was uh, budgeted at 1 billion. And now the estimated uh, total cost will be 1.1 billion. And we're hoping it, it, it's, 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 it finishes soon. Um, I, yeah, I, last thing I heard, it wasn't, wasn't uh, finished yet. Um, and then those that um, financed by the Panamanian government, you know, through public bids, there's the Amador Convention Center that was in, recently inaugurated, uh, which is actually in Amador. Oh, that's what that is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, the Amador Convention Center, ah, okay. which if you see it mm-hmm. and you've seen a convention center in China, mm-hmm. it, it is, is yeah. very, very similar. Quite, yeah. I mean, they really used... Chinese design and architecture to build it, which is fine because, mm-hmm. you know, Panama is very inclusive of different cultures. You know that this year, starting this year, Chinese New Year became a national holiday. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Panama is very inclusive. I mean, we, we shouldn't, and, and I, like I want to make a small parenthesis here, um, all these, you know, Chinese, anti-Chinese sentiments that I previously um uh, previously uh, mentioned against, you know, like uh, putting the embassy in a certain area should not be confused with anti-sentiment towards ethnic, the ethnicity of Chinese. So, so Panama has always had, uh, since the construction of the Panama Canal Railroad in the, in the uh, 19th century, uh, many Chinese workers, uh, they, they, they've settled, they've had their families, uh, you know, ch- uh, Chinese breakfast is, um, is a is basically a tradition on Sundays. So dim sum to eat dim sum. So there's a there's a difference between um, you know perhaps the projects led by uh, the government of China, you know the the, the Communist Party, and the eth- the acceptance of the ethnicity of China into Panama, which 
now is basically part of the Panamanian identity in a, in a certain way. So I, I, I just wanted to, to make that distinction. It's not like, you know, there are some, in some countries, anti-Chinese sentiment turns into attacks against Chinese that thankfully in Panama doesn't happen. Um, and at that point, it's mentioning impossible but dim sum, but that's a big thing. It's a big thing. I, will, I if, if if this was on YouTube, was like flash some pictures from like suddenly in El Dorado, like full of Panamanians like, every Saturday, every Sunday, it's like three floors just dim sum. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, we yeah. like our, and it's really good actually. <laughs> yeah, because the of course the. You know, every part of the if we study Chinese migration and the Chinese diaspora, the Chinese from specific regions all choose to go to the same place. So, for example, if we if we look at the you know the Californian Chinese, they're all from the south, and we look at the Italian Chinese, they're all from Wenzhou, and so on. So, for Panama, these migrations mostly came from Hong Kong, Guangdong, and uh, Fujian. So that's the that to us is what Chinese food is like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when I first came to China, well, when I first went to China, I landed in Shanghai and uh, then to Beijing, and yeah, like what I thought was Chinese food really didn't match with what I saw once I arrived to the actual China. Yeah. <laughs> um, so move, uh, continuing with the with the infrastructure projects, um, there's a p uh, there's the um. Well, the, the, the two biggest ones that I'm going to mention, unfortunately, haven't proceeded, but, but, but one of them will proceed. So one of them was the uh, Panama Chiriqui train. Uh, we all have heard of the construction of uh, railroad tracks and train tracks all over China and that as an export to developing countries. So uh, President Varela... Uh, who was the president who established diplomatic relations with China on his first state visit took the Gautier, which is the high speed train from Beijing to Shanghai, if I'm not mistaken. And he fell in love with that train. I mean, he really saw how, uh, you know, having this train in Panama could, would connect the country and, uh, would be, would be something a, a good and of course um, for for Chinese products um, and expansion in the Americas Panama as the port of entry they saw having a train that would connect Chiriqui is the province that borders Costa Rica you know the, the, the country to the north of Panama so they saw an opportunity to have a train that would begin in Panama and perhaps go all the way to the US or to Mexico and as a way to facilitate cargo and as a, as a way to facilitate the transfer and movement of people. And a feasibility study took place, which was financed by China. It was something like $16, $17 million. So with the establishment of diplomatic relations, uh, Panama, uh, China allocated $100 million RMB, a fund, a cooperation fund was allocated to Panama that Panama could use um, basically for, in, for for cooperation projects, exchanges of, of goods, and so on and so forth. And one of the uh, uses of this fund was the feasibility study for the train. And, of course, the train, the results uh, identified the train as a feasible project with a price tag of $4 billion. Now, for a country like Panama with a GDP of $60 million, $4 billion is a lot. The <clears throat> expansion of the Panama Canal, which recently ended, was valued at $4 billion. So, right, when, when, when the previous... Oh, and, and this uh, report was not made public. So we were just told there's a report somewhere that advocates for the construction of this train, valued at $4 billion. Of course, well, not of course, but um, it was no surprise that the current government, which started in 2019, did not support this project. So this project is under revision, but it seems like um, the possibilities of, of it actually kickstarting are, are, are low. 
Do we do we know why they don't support it? Was it a matter of us ah, overspend too much debt? We we don't like government previously. Is there a reason why they don't support it? They haven't specified, mm-hmm. but what I can tell and from what I can see, uh, and in line with what I told you before, that every government tries to bring right. their own agenda. They probably said, "Well, this is the previous government's idea and project." And we have our own ideas and projects. And with, with $4 billion, we could probably do all these other things that we want. For example, I mean, this is just me, yeah, yeah. me guessing. Um, all the criticisms that the current government have of the arrangements made with the previous government are not detailed. So they just say, well, this was just not right or irresponsible or needs revision. Or the math doesn't add, but they don't specify. (laughs) You know, they don't specify what about it is wrong with it. Um, And the third project that I'd like to bring up is the fourth bridge over the Panama Canal. And and a few days ago, you asked me where was it going to be built. Yeah, and uh, I'm embarrassed. I I was embarrassed because I really (laughs) had not seen where it was going to be built. And. But we, we guess, well, it's got to be somewhere near the port. It's got to right, be somewhere right. near the Bridge of the Americas. And yes, it is. It's uh, very near Baboa Port. It's very near the Americas Bridge. So, yeah, I mean, it, the Americas Bridge is a, like, is a bridge on the Pacific side. And the ships cross under, you know, because it, it's, it's on top of the canal. So they're basically going to build a fourth bridge for two reasons. Number one, to facilitate transit between the say the countryside of Panama and Panama City because a lot of people commute from the a neighboring province called Arraihan which there's a funny story of what Arraihan <laughs> is called Arraihan because well Arraihan is at the right hand and because it's at the right hand well you know probably Panamanians urban legend back in the day heard Arraihan so so if, so if you want to remember that name just think of at the right hand so Arraihan um, is home to a lot of people that work in Panama City that, you know, uh, find cheaper housing, but also bigger housing. You know, Panama is a small city, but it's congested. And most, many people live in, in buildings. Many people live in small houses. Whereas in Arraihan, you can, of course, you know, have a bigger house, probably for a lower price with a nice garden, etc. So this bridge will, of course, facilitate the um, commute and the transfer of people. And but you should you should say facilitate commute. You should mention, or I'll mention now, the traffic is terrible. The traffic is really bad over the America's Bridge because it's it, it's a nice bridge. It's big, but it's not very big. And as you mentioned, because so many people live across the bridge, Panama Oeste side, when they kind of come over on month of work and leave to go back home, it's really congested. And the bridge is no longer enough to support it. Yeah, um, let's stick to that to that reason. I'll, the, the second reason I'll mention in a moment, but let's stick to that reason because one of the ways of getting an economy, and well, you studied finance and economics, so you'll probably be able to tell more. One of the ways of getting an economy running again is by increasing spending and by having people consume or you know work or whatever it is, but. When you have twice a day people um, who have to commute to work inside a car, you know, because some people at the at the at, at the rush hours they'll spend from one to two hours, mm-hmm. meaning four hours a day, yeah. inside a car. You're not really facilitating spending, and you're not really facilitating people doing things other than work. They're very unproductive. Exactly. It's it's incredibly unproductive. And like you said, the there's a lot of traffic and that's because there's a lot of people. And well, having two bridges eases traffic. And I think as also a direct benefit, it gives people more time mm-hmm. to shop, to exercise, to cook, to do to do many other things that contribute, you know, to contribute to to the country as a whole. And well, and moving on to the second reason, um, Panama is building a metro network system. Uh, the first line is is already completed; it's operative, 
Um, and this project has a, will have a total of four lines. So the second line is also almost done. It's not entirely operational. It needs a, some some changes. But the third line, which hasn't uh, really began yet, um, isn't it, it is expected to cross over the fourth bridge. Or initially, plans suggested that the train, the, the third line, would cross over the fourth bridge. <laughs> That's a lot of numbers. The fourth bridge over the canal. However, when this government... Um, saw the the project they basically said they were going to reevaluate mm-hmm. and um the idea of designing the 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 third line to cross over the bridge was unfeasible and they basically redesigned it so that it would you know go through the canal so underwater which well I'm I'm not an architect nor a civil engineer but that sounds complicated <laughs> <laughs> it sounds complicated to do um so in 2021 because of the pandemic so oh so so at at the end of the previous government uh works for the fourth bridge began and because of the pandemic oh and so the financing of the fourth bridge was going to come from different sources one of them was the national enterprise for highways uh one the other part was you know from from banking system and then another part was going to be you know part of the state budget and there was also going to be, yeah, yeah, basically these are the three main sources of financing. So, well, if you see, there's a, basically, a, other than the banking, uh, the other two are governmental authorities. So without government backing, this project does not move forward. And in 2021, um, financing for the for the fourth bridge was not included in the national budget. So mm. many started to wonder whether this, this project would be abandoned mm-hmm. in the same way that the train from uh, Panama to Chiriqui was, seems also have been abandoned. So we started to wonder, well, um, you know, is this going to happen with all of the big Chinese mega projects? What, like what's, what's going to be the attitude towards, um, the free trade agreement, for example, that has already been negotiated for five times, you know, five rounds of negotiation over it was just abruptly stopped. <clears throat> Turns out that the 2022 budget does include the fourth bridge over the canal. So this infrastructure project will continue. Um, so yeah, um, so, so just to sum it up, well, yeah, after the establishment of diplomatic relations, there were more infrastructure projects uh, taking place in the, in, in, in the country. Uh, measuring uh, foreign direct investment is not as simple. Uh, however, what I can tell you is in 2019, which is two years after the establishment of diplomatic relations, there were four mega projects in Panama, uh, ongoing or to be completed at a certain point. The first, the Metro Lines 2 and 3. Second, the Panama-Chiriqui train. Third, the fourth bridge over the canal. The fourth project, the Corozal, Corozal port. And the last one, the Colon container port. Three of these have Chinese participation. So out of five projects, three are Chinese. That represents a lot for the relationship. Is it Chinese participation? Is it like a substantial participation? Yeah, yeah. As in Chinese leadership. I see. You know, so I mean, when I say participation, is because not all of these are financed right. by China. By right, China, right. there's many are financed. Like like the fourth bridge is financed by the Panamanian government. However, the leading uh, company for the fourth bridge. Are, uh, the leading companies are both Chinese, CCCC mm-hmm. and China Harbor Engineering Corporation. Yeah. So now that hopefully coming out of the pandemic, so geopolitics is a bit changed now. But what do you think are the the interest points that Panamanian government is looking towards now? You know, going far for the next few years. Uh, is is China top of the game? Is Better U.S. relations, top of the game. Like, what is it for Panama? 
China, even before establishing diplomatic relations, was and will continue to be important. We can't ignore China's growth, China's size, China's skills and uh, and its power and its ability to, to, to manufacture technologies and infrastructure and all this and all that. Um, what I can say after the pandemic uh, will happen with regards to China and 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 everything seems to be working in this way is that for the last perhaps two or three years that this government has left, it, it is an increase in conversations and an increase in projects. At the very least, perhaps not infrastructure projects, but perhaps cooperation projects. So this president and this minister, so the president, since he took office, he's only had one trip to Asia, and that was... Um, to the enthronement of the Japanese emperor, Emperor Naruhito. And since then, he, he hasn't traveled much, partly because of the pandemic, but he hasn't traveled to Asia. And the minister of foreign affairs hasn't traveled to Asia either. Mm. However, there was a conversation late last year, could have been December if I'm not mistaken, between her and Wang Yi, you know, the foreign minister of China. And this comes in... You know, in, in, this is, this is the first time that they, they had ever spoken. They had mm. spoken over the phone. So this comes as a president to perhaps a visit, perhaps a, the, the, you know, to sit down and, and re, re, reactivate many of the, of the projects that, that are pending. So for example, one that is of a lot of interest to us. And I say us because to Panamanians is the free trade agreement because the main pillar of the free trade agreement are investments. You know, you, you might think, oh, trade is only commercial goods. Well, not really, actually. You know, trade can also translate to investment. So if there's an agreement that facilitates investment, that will promote more investments in Panama. And not just for Panama, but for many countries in the world, one of the priorities post-pandemic is economic recovery. And one way of doing it is through the attraction of investments. Do you have a particular outlook on the way that U.S., and it's hard to talk about U.S. foreign policy as a general statement, but do you have a view about how U.S. Um, foreign policy actors have been treating Panama and do they, do you think they have a good understanding of the problems and realities and prospects, uh, and wants and needs of Panama? The U.S. is Panama's most important partner in all aspects. Trade, investment, um, you know, the U.S. Uh, is responsible in huge, huge part, if not entirely for Panama's independence. So in a way, you could say, that Panama is the U.S.'s project. You know, uh, we have a dollarized economy. We have a canal that was made with U.S. technology. And the U.S. continues to have a lot of interests in Panama. So it's only normal that when, you know, a rival to the U.S., China, uh, shows so much interest in Panama and all these projects, that there's a reaction. So we we saw that um, in 2018, so roughly one year after establishing the diplomatic relations, Mike Pompeo, uh, the, the Secretary of State at the time, went to several countries in Central America, among them Panama, and he had a closed-door meeting with the president. We don't know what happened, but the whole attitude with China changed. You know, we really saw a slowdown. The way that I see it, um, the U.S. has has its has its interests in Panama, and they will act once they see these interests threatened. Uh, they don't have to understand, and ah, well, they they might they might make an effort to understand what the what the difficulties of and the challenges and what Panama wants. But at the end of the day, they're going to look after their their own interests and. From what I've seen, foreign China, U.S.'s foreign policy, in a way, is attempting to address many of the aspects that may, that countries like Panama look for in China. For example, in response to the Belt and Road Initiative, 
the U.S. launched the America Crece uh, project. That you know, this hasn't really materialized partly because of the, or well, as far as I know, hasn't really materialized in Panama. As part Not of, anywhere else. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's just I don't know the reach. That I, I don't know what the reach mm-hmm. of it is. But but in Panama, it hasn't materialized. Um, that doesn't mean it won't. But I don't think it will because that was a Trump Pompeo type administration. When Biden came into office, he he launched a new thing called Salpi. Right? No one talked about that now either. The small and less populous regions economic growth. Oh my god, always called them too. Yeah, these things don't really go anywhere. Yeah. So <laughs> looking at it from the U.S.'s perspective, um, well, America Crece was an example of, of of a program that would try and parallel Belt and Road. Well, it didn't really go anywhere. So I guess we'll just have to wait for a new foreign policy project that addresses these main issues. You know, um, it's important to note that that for for Panama, China is not this ideological mm-hmm. big brother uh, that you could probably argue for for other states that share um, share share ideology. Uh, China is a is a commercial, um, you know, superpower, a huge commercial, um, huge huge commercial commercial state that. Offers investment, offers opportunity, offers a market to distribute goods, offers a um, like a, a, a big, powerful state in Asia to to approach perhaps um, other other Asian uh, states, such as the for, or through other mechanisms, such as the RCEP, which is the which is the free trade agreement, and so that's something that we all need to first and foremost keep in mind. That for Panama, China is a a like a partner, like a comprehensive partner. So so in, in many different sectors, but it's not the figure that Panama wants to become. You know, Panama wants to uh, work with China, wants to receive investments, wants to ha- increase trade. But doesn't want in any way to follow the China model. Um, doesn't want to have a communist party. Um, so, so it, it has its limits. The relationship between Panama and China. Sebastian, this has been a super insightful episode, and I will thank you once again for being my very first live guest on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Necesito y siempre te voy a amar. Siempre te voy a amar. Díselo.